This is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast, part of the Demcast family of podcasts. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. In partnership with the Washington Indivisible Network and Indivisible Tacoma, we bring you our deep dive town hall series, learning about key issues Indivisibles care about. Today, we break down the legislative process, specifically how laws are made in Washington State, with former 41st LD State Representative Marcy Maxwell. She breaks down the intricacies and nuances with a special emphasis on how you can get involved and impact the process. That's next. So this is the first in our deep dive town hall series. We have put together this series to help unpack some very big, weighty subjects, lawmaking, the budgeting process, redistricting. And as I mentioned, uh, Marcy Maxwell is our expert guest, and she will go into great detail on the lawmaking process. But before we jump in, I thought it might be helpful for me to just give a quick overview of how laws are introduced and made in the state. So just you hear this music, just imagine that's the schoolhouse rock theme behind me. Uh, I couldn't afford to buy that. So that's what we're going to listen to. So here's how it goes. A bill gets introduced by a member in either the House or the Senate. It is then referred to a committee for a hearing. The committee then studies the bill can hold public hearings, and then can pass, reject, or take no action. If it does pass, the committee's report on the bill is read in open session in the House or Senate, and the bill is referred to the Rules Committee, which can either put the bill on the calendar for a second reading for debate before the entire body or take no action. If there is a second reading, the bill is subject to debate and amendment before being placed on the third reading calendar for final passage. After passing one house, the bill goes through the same process in the other house. If there are amendments that are made, they have to be approved by the other chamber. And when a bill is accepted in both houses, it is signed by the leader in each house and sent to the governor. The governor then signs the bill or may veto all or part of it. If he or she fails to act, the bill may become law without the governor's signature. <laughs> all right, there you go. Easy, right? So to make all of that clear and to give you so much more detail, we honestly couldn't have gotten someone better to explain the legislative process here in the state of Washington. Marcy Maxwell is the former state representative from the 41st LD, serving from 2009 to 2013. She was also a school board director for the Renton School District, and she was a senior policy advisor to Governor Inslee. Hello, Marcy. Good evening. How are you tonight? I'm good, Stefan. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we're as I say, we're honored to have you, and we're really excited to get into this. And I will just mention, as I read your CV here, I feel like you are uniquely situated to uh, to present what you're about to present tonight. You've seen this process from virtually every side, local, legislative, ex- executive. Uh, talk a little bit about your experience in all those areas. Yeah, it is an interesting background to bring and understand how this all fits together. Um, having uh, you know worked as an elected on a school board locally, uh, and of course interacting there with the state budget and all the state policies that come down to us to help us or hinder some of our work. Uh, you know, my work in the legislature, I served on the budget committee. I served in leadership with the speaker on a variety of uh, other committees on rules. And um, then uh, unelected myself and went to the governor's office uh, when he asked me to take an appointment there. And really seeing the culmination of that and seeing just how important it is to engage, you know, all of uh, those voices and all of those needs together um, because they really are interdependent. And that's how we make uh, good governance work, you know, for Washington and all around Washington. 
I will mention for people who may not know that you came on the job uh, basically right at the beginning of the Great Recession. This was when the mm-hmm. state had an $11 billion deficit. We are projected right now, I believe, at $2.4 billion. Um, I'm just curious, and I know that you'll get into this in your presentation, but if you could talk just a little bit about that experience a little bit about what you learned and how you feel that may be able to uh, be applicable to some of the things that we're going to be facing in this next session. Yeah, my uh, first session in the legislature was 2009 as we went into the recession. Um, and, you know, quite frankly, every year I was in the legislature, we were in the, the deep and long recession that that great recession was. Um, and, um, you know, while you strive to and would like to do good policies and move some uh, new actions forward, uh, we were more about making sure that Washington as a state was going to survive and uh, be able to, to do what we could to hold things together for the most vulnerable people and communities in our state. And that was really, really tough. It was a time also that the Tea Party was uh, rising, that movement. Uh, so, you know, very anti-tax at that point. Uh, the McCleary lawsuit was in full bloom. Um, and, you know, getting an agreement between all of the parties, uh, you know, which is really part of how the legislature works uh, between the House and the Senate and the majorities and minorities and the governor was uh, very, very difficult and strong lobbying against um, a lot of efforts that we tried to do to to remedy some of the um some of the revenue situations. So I think, you know, the results of that that we've seen, um, uh, I think what we've learned is that a lot of the cuts we had to make because we did have to make some, you know, some cuts that we would prefer not to do, um, have harmed, um, you know, those that are most in need in our state. And, um, you know, when you, when you cut, for example, TANF, which is some people use the term welfare for that, and you think, gosh, you know, we're ha- okay, it's, it's working fine because there's fewer people calling. Well, no, there's not fewer people calling, it's just nobody there to answer the phone because you had to, you know, cut your staffing. So um, I think we've definitely learned some things from there. And I'm hoping that, uh, you know, with the legislators uh, at this point in time, we'll have, uh, you know, some better outcomes from that. Uh, They certainly have seen some good times. And so this is a change for them. The the legislators that have been there, say, the last four to six years, which is quite a few of them. Um, And I think one thing that you might find interesting is if you go into Google and you put in three words, uh, Gregoire or Governor Gregoire, OFM and recession, you'll find a 15-page report that talks about how we got through that. And uh, a lot of the challenge, very, very challenging, um, very difficult. We did get some help from the feds, which I think was, uh, you know, with uh, Obama and, and uh, the ARA uh, work that he had and then into healthcare. But um, it, it wasn't fun. Not at all. <laughs> I did read that document and it doesn't look like fun, but rescue the state you did. Um, yeah. And throw into the mix this time, uh, the pandemic. And, you know, the Democratic leadership in both the House and the Senate have narrowed their priorities. The caucuses have said they are narrowing their priorities uh, down to uh, the budget and economic recovery, uh, COVID, 
police reform mm-hmm. and racial equity uh, in one bucket there, and the climate crisis. I'm wondering, what is your take on essentially uh, narrowing it down to those four buckets? And, I mean, this is an unusual situation, right? The caucuses have not done this sort of thing in the past, or, or have they? Uh, the caucuses usually do set priorities. You know, they get together in a, a day in November or December. They have an advance. Uh, and, um, you know, they work together to hear, uh, get to know each other, hear what they have to say, and try and set some priorities. It doesn't mean that every bill is going to fit in those priorities, but um, I think that's a that's a typical thing that they're, they're setting priorities. Um, and it doesn't mean that the House and the Senate and the governor all have the same priorities, but I think they're coming together with uh, many of those from the, the majority uh, parties this uh, session. And... Um, they are uh, challenging, and uh, but I think they're up to it. We have a good group there. I know that members are being asked to limit themselves to seven bills. Uh, is mm-hmm. that unprecedented, and how do you see that going? Because we know we have a lot of very ambitious people who like yeah. to put a lot of legislation out there, right? Uh, it's, uh, you know, during the recession, we were asked to limit, I think, to three bills, it seemed oh, well. like it. By the time you move bills, it wasn't, you could certainly start with a lot more than that. But um, legislators are uh, independently elected. (laughs) They don't always follow everything that you ask them to do. Uh, And, uh, you know, what will happen is that the chair folks will uh, determine which bills and leadership will determine which bills are are going to be heard and move forward. And um, some of the others may have to wait for the second year of this biennium or even longer. Uh, Some of those ideas take longer to cook. Other bills that you'll see drop are just message bills and uh, aren't really going to go anywhere anyway. And that is not untypical. When we see uh, a time period where, say, 2,000 bills might come out and 600 are passed, um, there's a lot of them that aren't making it through for many different reasons. You are going to explain a lot of this as we go on this evening. Um, Before we do, I have two bonehead questions that I've been dying to ask somebody who has the answer to, and that's you. So, uh, first of all, um, a a number of states have full-time legislatures. We Mm -hmm. have a part-time one. Why? You know, I, I don't know all of the history to that. I can tell you that Washington has a citizen legislature, which means that they are citizens of their own communities and they are uh, they come with lots of experiences and backgrounds and they go back and spend a lot of time in their communities. And, um, you know, the purpose of the budget, uh, excuse me, the purpose of the sessions really is about the budget and um, the policies that are going to go with it. It's not to see, uh, you know, if you can get to a thousand bills or any, any of that sort. So we have the 105 day session, which is this year, uh, the first year of the biennium. And that is when the full budget is uh, put together and passed. That's their main duty. And then we have the 60 day session uh, in the second year, which is for a supplemental budget. That's the, the only thing they really are responsible for at that point. And then there's of course bills that will go along with it. Um, and when they come out of that, it's campaign year. So uh, they're often anxious to get back out into the communities and raise funds and uh, knock on doors and, and get reelected and come back for more. You anticipated my second question about the biennium. So there we go. Uh, before I hand things over to you, I will welcome uh, Bellevue City Council member Janice Zahn. Special welcome to you. Thank you for joining us tonight. So now you are going to walk us through how a bill becomes a law. Um, and as I said, gang, um, it, while Marcy is presenting, 
please enter all of your questions into the chat bar, and we will get to them at the end of her presentation and kindly stay muted uh, during the presentation. And with that, I turn it over to you, Marcy. Thank you. And I think uh, Kat has uh, my PowerPoint presentation. So um, again, thank you all for being here this evening and um, taking part in um, in being great advocates, it is important. You are an important part of the process. And I think, you know, my objective is to make sure that you have just a good frame to understand, you know, uh, your role as an advocate and your interests, as well as uh, the responsibilities and timelines and all of those kinds of things with the legislature uh, and where some of the resources are, that kind of thing. So we'll turn to the first page here and talk a little bit about um, before session, which is the time period we're in now for a very for, uh, short time. So we had election November 3rd, uh, certified that a month later. Um, and as I mentioned uh, just before, the uh, Senate and uh, House both have, whoa, where did my presentation go? They both have um, uh, their advanced meetings, and that is the Senate Republicans have an advance, the Senate Democrats, uh, House Democrats, House Republicans each have their advance in their caucuses. Um, and quite often that's a, you know, maybe a full day, a long day and evening, overnight, whatever it might be that they're choosing to do. Um, but it is that chance for them to get to know each other, to get to understand their priorities, uh, to maybe sell, you know, do a good sales job uh, to their other um, legislators on uh, how they feel about solving some of the problems that, that uh, they're faced with, et cetera. Um, also during this time period, we've just recently seen the committee chairs and, and uh, vice chairs and ranking members all selected uh, by their caucuses. These things happen you know, through their, their individual caucuses, one of the four caucuses. Uh, the committee schedules are determined. Um, those things are all starting to show up online. Uh, if you go to the legislative website, what you'll see mostly is last year's information because nothing really starts until the day that they're sworn in, which is next Monday. Um, but you will start to see, you know, there's a, a page where you'll start to see the committee schedules and um, who's assigned. And, you know, if you don't find it there, you can find it in the press releases from each of the caucuses. Uh, committee week typically happens in early December where they will have some uh, public hearings or work sessions on uh, particular issues to kind of gear up. Uh, that is with the, the uh, former legislative body, so those that were elected during the 20 session. Um, but there's also new members that will come and sit in just to get an idea, get a feel for committees, decide you know, which committees they might want to work on, um, and you know, get the feel for sitting on the, on the dais there. Of course, this year, this gets a feel for participating with Zoom is a little bit different. But, um, and then early bills are filed. Uh, I don't know if you started looking at some of those. Uh, there is a, a list online of pre-filed bills. If you, uh, you know, Google in or go into the uh, walledge.gov. And um, at this time, the House has pre-filed, uh, House members have pre-filed 112 bills. The Senate uh, with fewer senators have pre-filed 114 bills. Um, so, uh, some of them have gone over their six or seven bills already. Others of them may just have one or two. And these are just the pre-files. They have uh, you know, plenty of time to do that now. 
Um, and I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll start to see uh, the rest of those bills come in. Um, the governor introduces his budget. I'm not sure uh, if you've had a chance to take a look at those, those things that happened in mid-December. Um, that's actually a mandate that he has to uh, bring his budget out by uh, mid-December. And uh, there's typically a press conference, which he did for that. Um, there's a lot of online information that's really, really great information. Uh, to take a look at. Um, you know, he's been working on this all fall uh, since typically about September 1st or so with his uh, policy staff, with OFM, the Office of Financial Management, with um, the agencies. Uh, you know, they've, they've asked all of the agencies for their input and shaping, uh, you know, what those priorities are going to be. Uh, and certainly he's talking to legislators too, uh, just you know, a good check-in to make sure they can all be on uh, somewhat the same page or same direction when session starts. So um, you can go into the OFM uh, website. Uh, there's a LEAP website. You'll see that on one of the uh, next few pages. Uh, it's leap.ledge.gov, which um, when budgets are introduced, the governor's budget and the House and Senate budgets are introduced, um, you can receive copies of those. You can sign up to receive those copies. Uh, the governor's um, the governor's budget has a really great uh, budget and policy highlights. It's about almost seventy pages or so, and really, you know, goes through, um, you know, what the needs are and how he's uh, choosing to address them. Um, and then, of course, you know, one of the first things that the legislators will do is uh, introduce his budget into the budget committees and start from there. And that's when you start to see testimonies. Typically, when the governor's budget is introduced, there is a room full of testimony and um, maybe an all day, all night uh, event, uh, you know, for that particular um meeting or ongoing for different parts of it. Um, new members, brand new members of the legislature have been in training the last uh, week or so. Uh, they learn, uh, you know, the legalities, they learn the formalities, uh, they learn what you can say on the floor, what you can't say on the floor. Um, there's a lot of wonderful staff there that uh, tries their very best to make sure that they get the training they need to succeed. And this is something they do together. The Democrats and the Republicans are, are in training together. And then the calendars are agreed to. And you can't find the calendar online yet, um, but you can if you're interested in, in seeing what the, the calendar is proposed at this point in time with cutoff dates for uh, policy committees and fiscal committees and so forth. There is a bill that's pre-filed by Marco Elias, who is the Senate floor leader. It's uh, called SCR 8401. And it's a, a Senate concurrent resolution, 8401. It has in it, all it does is spell out the calendar and the cutoff dates. So even though the session is 105 days, um, you know, it's a much shorter time period for people to introduce and uh, pass their policy bills and, um, you know, go on to the, the other chamber with their bills and so forth. And it's those those dates are, are hard and fast. So they're very important. So we can move on to the next page. And I hope you're getting some good information here. Uh, the next page, we're going to talk a little bit about you. <laughs> uh, 
uh, as advocates, because as I said, you are an important part of this. I know many of you, uh, and I know for sure that you volunteered, you did, you know, donated, you did a lot of great work to make sure that we elected uh, good officials, both at uh, the state and federal level uh, this last session. That's a really important part of our work. Um, I think it's a really good idea to make a quick phone call, a quick text if you have their number, or just a really short email to say congratulations on your election. Um, I think uh, you know getting your name noticed with your legislators is a good idea. And I think providing them with your number, your email, um, your willingness to provide expertise. Many of us have a certain expertise. I've had a small business I've owned in the housing industry for 30 years. You know, it would be an email to say, uh, you know, congratulations, Senator Wellman, on your reelection. Um, I, um, I, have, I have a housing business I've had for 30 years. If you, uh, you know, need to call on me with questions or for testimony, here's my number and my email address. So, um, you know, make yourself available and known. And I think uh, one of the most important things you can do is, is when you walk into a legislator's office or you make a call to them or uh, these days see them online and they know your name, you've done your job, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, sign up, uh, it's ledge.wa.gov. I, I have that a little bit sideways there on that, that next line. But sign up to receive emails. There is a wealth of information and transparency. Um, you can get committee schedules, the agendas. You can get press releases from the caucuses. You can get the news eclipse that the legislators get every day. Um, and even if you're just reading the headlines there, you know what they're reading, you know the kinds of... Uh, you know, issues that they're facing and so forth. I think it's really helpful. Get to know their aid. Uh, their aid is uh, often quite helpful um, and somebody you need to know and they need to know you. So town, town halls, um, the pre-session town halls, in fact, I just got a notice today, there was one uh, going on this evening. Um, so, uh, you know, sign up, engage again, be available, um, show your name, show your face, be a part of the process. So let's move on. The next page, we're going to talk about uh, session as it starts. And session starts the, always starts the second Monday in January, which uh, is coming right up here. This is the 105-day session, the two-year budget. Um, during the pandemic, the House, uh, it was my understanding, is going to be completely online with their work. Um, the Senate says that they're going to be mostly online. It's going to be about 25% of um, their people may be in the chamber. Uh, they always operate a little bit differently in terms of how they vote and uh, so forth, but that's what they said they're going to do. And I know they're doing some practice sessions right now, and um, I'm sure they'll make this all uh, work quite well. So. Um, the legislators will be sworn in. The governor uh, next week will do a state of the state address. You can watch that on TVW, uh, either live as it's happening or uh, they record those so you can go back and watch it and you know, hear what it is that he's telling the statewide electeds and the legislature as they start their session. Um, the Democrats have um, a good majority in both chambers, uh, 57 in the House and 28 in the Senate. Um, those are uh, good numbers and give them some flexibility in terms of getting legislation passed and uh, maybe uh, 
you know, sometimes not, not everybody in every, every district is um, able to or, or uh, prioritizes voting for uh, particular issues, and this allows them to um, have some flexibility and, and let individual legislators and districts have the say that they might need to or want to have um, in those particular issues. Um, bills are dropped into the hopper. Those pre-filed bills would be there. There actually is a, a little box they call the hopper and uh, that takes that bill through uh, a legal scrutiny. Um, I'm sure they're doing that all online these days. Uh, well, not usually, they, they actually these days, by that I mean during the pandemic, uh, it's very ceremonial kind of thing. So last year, even though we have all the technology we do, there's still uh, that uh, hopper out there. And we often see legislators taking a picture when they're dropping their first bills into the hopper for the year. And it's a good time to just uh, like that on Facebook or send a little note to them congratulating them or asking how you can help them. Um, the bills are assigned by the majority uh, leadership to committees. Uh, typically, um, that'll be done by um, the deputy majority leader and the um, or I should say the majority leader, uh, Pat Sullivan in the House, for example, and um, the speaker's uh, attorney and, and staff will uh, make those decisions. Uh, sometimes those bills will move from one committee to the other for a specific reason. Uh, those are typically leadership decisions there. Um, the agendas are set every week. Again, you can receive that information online. Um, coming right to you. I have a bucket in my email that's marked Washington Legislature and I put that information all in there so I know where it is uh, when I need it. When the work begins on, on bill hearings in both the policy committees and the fiscal committees. Uh, I mentioned before the governor's budget is introduced in the fiscal committees. Um, there are no bill carryovers from the prior year this year. Those bills are carried over with the same number in the second year of the biennium. When that two-year biennium is over, if someone wants to reintroduce introduce that same idea, um, then they need to start with an entirely new bill to do that. Um, and uh, something different this year, uh, because of the pandemic and the slower work online, there will be no companion bills. Typically there are companion bills, which means that two identical bills are moving, one in the House and one in the Senate. One has a House sponsor, one with a Senate. And um, they do that because sometimes you get a stronger response in one um, chamber and not the other. And you know, then typically between the two sponsors, one the House and the Senate member, they will agree between them, you know, which bill is going to move forward uh, and so forth. But um, so, you know, that just means that if there's only one bill and not the two bills working together, that they may need to, you know, make sure that they really work uh, to guide those bills uh, through the entire process. Um, there's excellent staff in uh, Olympia, uh, and the work that they put in is tremendous. Uh, during the session, they uh, work days and nights and weekends. It is not unusual for them to work in overnight, uh, especially during cutoff time periods. Um, and they are there, again, to help uh, legislators be successful. There is staff that is partisan staff that is part of the caucus in each case, like the Democratic House Caucus, whatever. Um, there is also nonpartisan committee staff. 
um, that is available to uh, a lot of uh, legal um, uh, personnel and um, they really are uh, working hard. Uh, they are very passionate about the success of um, public governance and um, they do great work. So uh, we're, we're lucky to have them there. So we're gonna move on. Uh, we're gonna talk a little about you uh, as advocates during session, because now the session is rolling up. Um, I mentioned the resources, ledge.wa.gov. Take a, a look through there. There is a wealth of information uh, and you can have that information come right to you without having to go to it you know, on a regular basis. The LEAP um, pages, uh, you know, when they start introducing budgets, you can sign up, oh, the transportation budget just came out today and it'll come right to you. That link will come right to you. The governor's website has a lot of uh, great information and the press releases that come out of there, um, bill signings, all kinds of things. And then the OFM website, I think as people don't necessarily go there as often, they're not that familiar with it, but, um, the Office of Financial Management is, um, you know, they have a lot of data. Um, they have a lot of explanations on, um, you know, the, the budgets and the needs and the revenue forecasts, all kinds of things that you might find really helpful um, in advocating for particular issues that you're interested in. Um, TVW is... Um, you know, we've all been watching a lot of Netflix, et cetera, lately, and I, th and I think we can uh, divert to TVW for uh, the next 105 days, a little piece of that. And uh, they are on TV, they are on um, the website, uh, and you can watch committee works there, you can watch the floor work go on. Um, this time, for the first time ever, they're going to have the rules committees. Uh, on TVW and uh, you know the rules committee for many people is a is a mystery. Um, a lot of folks think that, um, that there's something that you know maybe there are lengthy meetings and maybe the cigars in the back room and all kinds of things. Um, but you know quite frankly, it's the, the rules committee is what allows the bills to move forward to um, the floor and. Um, so you're gonna be able to watch some of that action. Uh, don't be surprised if that meeting lasts about five minutes and uh, it's done. Uh, there's pre-work that happens there, but it's another area that uh, you need to understand if you're interested in bills passing, not only um, you know, uh, approaching and advocating with the committees and the legislators on the floor, but also the legislators on the um, rules committee to make sure that, you know, that's the next step the bill takes. Um, coalitions are a great place to engage and, um, you know, they're doing a lot of policy work. They have expertise. Um, you know, there's, there's coalitions in the climate area, in reproductive rights, in, uh, racial equity um, in, uh, in inequality and, and uh, economic equity. Um, there, every area uh, of uh, policy making and, and uh, so forth. And they have an awful lot of really great expertise um, and good messaging and quite often easy ways for you to contact. And Indivisible is a part of all of that work too. So certainly, you know, engage with the Indivisibles and in uh, getting that done. But um, I would say, uh, you know, if you want to be effective um, and really, you know, understand um, 
policies and and um, it's just a, it's a good place to be a part of. Um, and there's just there's so many of them, and you you know you're going to want to pick and choose according to the things that you are are most passionate about and um, that um, you think you can be most effective at. Uh, because we can't do it all any more than these legislators can be experts in all areas and all subjects they're going to cover. Um, it's important to rally wide support or opposition, uh, you know, to contact legislators. Um, it, the more and varied support that a bill has, or on the other foot, you know, the more and varied opposition, the better chance you have of moving that bill forward. Um, if if they find that, um, you know, this is a, it's a very narrow pathway, and and very few people are interested in in the particular bill and the way it's being you know written and presented and so forth. The chances of it passing are probably a lot less. So uh, you know, think about as you're thinking about um, your advocacy work. Look for people around the state in other geographic areas, other legislative districts. Look for people who might be interested in that issue for another reason than than your reason. You know, there that particular interest. Uh, needs to come up and, and broaden that community. Look for a wide variety of communities and organizations and you know, do your best to bring them together and to have some uh, common um, interest and some uh, common purpose to make sure that that particular bill gets passed or opposed. Um, I, I've told people uh, many times over and over again, you just need to know that there's somebody on the other side, always. Um, and quite often there are paid lobbyists that are present every waking day, every waking moment in a legislator's life during session. So, um, and when you start talking about things like revenue or, um, Oh gosh, climate, you know, a, a lot of issues, uh, most every issue, quite frankly, that comes up in the legislature, whatever the topic is, uh, you're going to find that there are people on the other side of your issue. And if you're not advocating and you're not the strong voice and haven't done the work to find um, that wide you know, group of supporters or, or opposers, just know that there is somebody on the other side that absolutely is doing that. Um, don't wait for your lobby day. You know, uh, I'm sure they're still going to have uh, lobby days or what they call lobby days, even though you're not going to go uh, to Olympia uh, as an advocate. But uh, more often than not, we've seen um, people say, you know, I'm, I'm going to wait for the uh, senior citizens lobby day or the PTA lobby day or the uh, you know, uh, the motorcycle enthusiasts lobby day, and they are there, they, they bring a lot of folks, that group. Um, but don't wait for that day, because if you go in and you look at the calendar and the deadlines, uh, you know, quite often the things that you are most interested in, if that's the day you're choosing to go in and make your first mention to a legislator about, um, you know, that, that bill that you're most interested in, it may be too late. A lot of these things happen very early. They happen before session in terms of the pre-work that goes on and some of the other advocacy that's going on. Um, they certainly will happen uh, sooner than some of the lobby days that are set forward. So 
Um, but if you're in thank legislators, um, they get a lot of uh, nasty grams for things, um, you know, people who are opposing things. Um, uh, and um, it, I, I, I think they really appreciate it when you make that effort to thank them, when you make that effort to have their backs when they have hard decision. And by that, I mean, you know, they need to, to know that you are out there in the community, in, the, in their legislative district, uh, amongst others, talking about why it's so important you know that they made that decision um so you know build some of your talking points and uh help them um get that word out um and get things passed um some of, one of the things that people don't always think about is calling or emailing the governor's office to support or oppose a bill you know he has policy staff that's working year round uh, the OFM budget staff is working year round his political staff is working year round and you can bet that when they start hearing about you know certain bills uh, that there's conversations going on and they're you know going back and forth to discussing with the legislators about um, you know how to prioritize or uh, make sure that something doesn't happen some particular bill doesn't doesn't pass. And the legislators will have town halls. Um, typically those are held in person, quite a few of them. Typically they are mid-session, um, but uh, this year we'll see them online, which may give them an opportunity and, and interest in holding even more of them. And uh, I think it's valuable to uh, be there to ask questions if you have them, to hear what's what they have to say, um, and again, to thank them for the work that they're doing uh, because they are, you know, during that session, they are basically uh, giving up their, their life day and night uh, and quite often weekends um, to do this messy legislative work for us. So, okay, we're gonna go on to the next page. Uh, where are we? There we go, okay. So um, there's just uh, some miscellaneous kinds of things. Um, the fiscal committees um, are the committees that actually uh, work um, or you know, have the opportunity to look at a bill and work through a bill longer time period than the policy committees. Uh, and quite often a bill will come from a policy committee into the fiscal committee. Some of them start out in the fiscal committee and that's where they are. Um, we House Appropriations, which is the operating budget for the House. Uh, in Senate, they have the Ways and Means Committee, um, which has both the operating budget and capital budget uh, work that they do. They have a vice chair that uh, handles the capital budget um, duties. Uh, and then House and Senate Transportation Committees are also fiscal committees and the House Capital Budget Committee. Um, all... Um, really important work and all a part of, of how we get the actual assigned work that has to be done during those 105 days uh, to make sure that uh, that, that happens. Um, these, are, when you are testifying in a fiscal committee, typically, especially in the, in the operating budget committees, they do not want you to talk about uh, policy kinds of things, you know, stories that are related to policy and so forth. They want you to talk about the impact, the physical, the, so the fiscal impact. So, you know, try and remember to stay in that mode versus a testimony that you might make in a policy committee. Uh, which will relate to, you know, the stories of the, how the policy is working or would work to either be helpful or harmful. 
Um, but uh, these these committees um, typically are pretty large. The, the appropriations and ways and means committees are are quite large. Um, they um, when they're in Olympia, they fill the house sometimes uh, two or three rooms full of people who want to give a short testimony. Um, and um, when you listen to the budget committee, uh, I should say the, the the budget bills being introduced, such as when the governor's budget bill is introduced, you will see um, people testifying on all kinds of issues. Um, and the what they'll typically do is try and um, you know, sort them together. So we're going to talk, you know, these people are wanting to talk about the education area. These people are wanting to talk about, um, you know, uh, healthcare. These people want to talk about childcare, you know, um, whatever it is, they'll, they'll try and, uh, you know, group those things together so uh, they can get them, as many of them in as possible. Um, the Rules Committee, as I said, that's a route that bills go to get onto the floor. Um, the Rules Committee is just um, it, it, typically, a, it'll be interesting to see, well, they won't be in a room this year. You know, there's a rules room uh, for the House and the Senate in Olympia. And actually, these are open meetings. Lobby, quite a few lobbyists go and sit in the back of the room. Um, you are welcome as an individual to go and sit in the back of the room when it happens. And since there is no back of the room this year, you're welcome to watch them on, on TVW. And uh, they will go around the room. Uh, the room is both Democrats and Republicans. And they will each uh, pick a bill. Uh, sometimes they'll pick two bills, uh, depending on how many bills the uh, Speaker of the House or the Senate majority wants to let out. Um, and get onto the floor calendar. And um, that's really about all that happens. Uh, the House, I can tell you, before that happens, we would have a pre-meeting um, and we'd talk about which bills we were considering bringing up. And we might, you know, be amongst us say, gosh, I'm gonna bring this bill up. Can you bring that bill up? You cannot um, pick your own bill in the Rules Committee. You have to pick a another legislator's bill. And typically, you're seeing the Republicans are picking bills that are sponsored by Republicans. The, the uh, Democrats are picking bills that are sponsored by Democrats. Sometimes there's some crossover there. Um, that isn't the only route. Some bills get pulled to the floor from leadership for a wide variety of reasons. Um, not all of the reasons would make sense to the general population. But, um, you know, for one reason or another, sometimes bills... Uh, will uh, get get pulled by uh, the leadership. We call it a leadership poll. And uh, that's how we uh, get to the end of session. And, uh, you know, there's, like I said, a, a wide variety of reasons to do that. Um, amendments uh, have deadlines, whether they're in committee or whether they're on the floor. Uh, some of the dead uh, bills that, you know, haven't been passed in their committees by, um, the deadlines will end up as amendments on the budget bill or amendments on another policy bill or pieces of a, a debt bill might come up and, and they might say, gosh, do you think we can amend this onto this bill? And, you, you know, bills require just one um, topic. So um, they have to fit into that particular topic, but um, sometimes they do show up that way. Um, I mentioned here the minority party's role on the floor is often to slow down the work. And if you've watched on TVW or you've been in the, the, 
the gallery of the House or Senate, you'll see um, floor speeches and uh, deadline time periods for that. Um, and some of that is um, about trying to make sure a bill does not pass. Uh, some of that is about slowing it down because the more you slow it down, the fewer bills uh, that the majority might pass through. And uh, it, um, it's part of that sausage making and how it all happens. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's, um, oftentimes there's a lot of good work that goes on together. Um, a large number of those bills do pass in a bipartisan, bicameral way. But um, there are contentious bills in every session that uh, take this additional time period and, um, you know, additional uh, slug making um, uh, to get through the process and actually get that bill passed. And sometimes that's hours that happens. Um, and sometimes you'll see some gaveling in between to try and, you know, work it out and say, okay, you know, we, we want to make sure you have your time to have your say, but we're going to work through this and get this bill passed. So um, again, that's just part of that process. That's some of the behind the scenes work uh, with the caucuses, the members, advocates, um, and I mentioned earlier that bills that don't pass uh, during the 21 session will be alive with the same bill number during that second uh, year of the biennium. Okay, we're gonna go on there a little bit more. Next, okay. So uh, after the legislative session, uh, the governor's staff um, will be reviewing bills for his signature and or veto. Uh, you can advocate for that. Um, sometimes people forget that. They say, gosh, you know, that bill passed. I really didn't want that bill to pass. Um, or there's something in that budget I want to see vetoed or whatever the case may be. Um, and you can do that. I, I will tell you that there, again, uh, there are organizations of all sorts and paid lobbyists who do this all the time. They know how to find the offices and the phone numbers and the email addresses for all of these folks. So they will, um, you know, get into every angle that they can to make sure that something uh, gets the governor's signature um, or something has a veto that happens. Uh, so I invite you to do the same in terms of being part of that process. Um, there are deadlines for the governor to sign. If a bill comes to him during session, um, uh, up to the about five days before session uh, is over, he has to sign it within five days. Um, if a bill comes to him from you know, the last five days of session, he has 20 days, and there's typically a, a larger number, you know, that are coming to him from the legislature at that point in time. And there's a lot of work that uh, his policy and legal and fiscal and political staff all do to uh, review those bills thoroughly before they get to the governor. And uh, you know, each of those groups will make a recommendation to him. Um, and there's a really great online process and uh, <coughs> that they all go through for that. Um, in 2021, the redistricting commission will be listening to your thoughts. So I hope that you'll be a part of that. Um, this, uh, the, the Democrats in both the House and Senate have announced who their uh, 
people will be on the commission. They each have one. And I keep looking for the Republicans to do that. They only have till January 15th to get that done. But I, I haven't seen it yet. Maybe somebody's seen it already. But I've looked uh, all over the place and asked a few folks and haven't seen it come up yet. So um, that is work that will happen in the interim. And I think that's, you know, this only happens once every 10 years. It did happen during the time I was in the legislature and our district, the 41st district, definitely changed. Um, you know, we, we were introduced to the city of Sammamish for the very first time in our legislative district and uh, it, uh, it definitely moved around. So please use your voice for that purpose. Um, it, again, it comes up only once every 10 years and it's a really important time to be speaking up. Um, in 21, we'll see local elections happen. Um, the, there's a wealth of <clears throat> boards and commissions, <clears throat> quite a few uh, in the governor's uh, webpage that are available, all kinds of interests and expertise. And I would invite you to take part in those things. Um, quite often there are new commissions that come out of a legislative session. And if you have an interest in that, you may wanna you know, engage with that. Um, absolutely do have the backs of legislators for, for hard decisions they make during the session. Um, they really need, you know, to make sure they have good partners who can help them uh, talk about, you know, why, uh, why we need to pass some of these bills, et cetera. And I think, you know, one of the good examples for that was this last session with the sex education bill. Um, you know, there's a lot of noise and uh, misinformation and so forth that came out with that. And um, there were some very important reasons and work uh, that were part of that bill. And um, they needed your voice. They needed you to be part of, of making sure the community understood uh, that it was a good bill. Um, and I think you're all pretty savvy in the areas of social media, uh, you know, using your voice. Um, always, always, we absolutely need you to be part of this work. Uh, you know, the, the legislators need a good team. Um, as I said, you know, uh, what we've seen um, this last week or so, and hopefully uh, uh, nothing like this for the next 13 days or so, just is a huge example of why it's so important to be engaged each and every year um, in uh, the work of good governance and good elected officials. So I think that's what I have for you. And I'm happy to answer any questions. And I hope some of that information was helpful. It was extraordinarily helpful, uh, Marcy. And we can't thank you enough for that. If we could get some applause emoji uh, going around for Marcy, that was really thorough, uh, really spectacular. Um, as I said, as advertised, uh, Marcy is exactly the right person to be bringing us this information. The slide deck will be available for people um, at, after we are done here. And also, I will just mention, uh, you, you, but Marcy mentioned redistricting. We will be doing a full explainer on redistricting because it happens once every 10 years. It's kind of a big deal. So we're going to get to audience questions, Marcy, but I'm going to be uh, selfish for just a second and ask a couple of my <laughs> questions. So you okay. talk about the Rules Committee. Um, it has so much power. You've referred to it as mysterious. Uh, it determines what comes to the floor. Who are these people and how are they appointed? Who are these people? Well, uh, you know, they're appointed by leadership. It's typically uh, an honor to be a part of the Rules Committee. Um, uh, it's, it's a committee assignment like others. Um, 
very rarely is there a freshman. I think this year I was, I just saw the other day that uh, Tara Simmons uh, from the 23rd district, who's a brand new legislator, uh, posted that she is the only freshman in the Democratic caucus who's going to be on the House Rules Committee. So, um, and it's typically, you know, some of the committee chairs and legislators who've been around a while. Um, it's not, it's, it's, it's only mysterious because, you know, you just, <laughs> you just don't see it and it happens so fast. <laughs> and uh, it is important. You know, you have to get your bill through the rules committee. It's, sometimes brand new legislators will say, oh, I got my bill passed committee. Oh, now I have to get through the rules committee because it's not just going to the floor. You know, so they have to do their work to advocate uh, with people on the rules committee and ask for them to please take my bill and, you know, please, please take my, my bill and get it to the floor from the rules committee. And, um, you know, if they don't have good relationships with some of those uh, rules committee members um, or they're timid about it or whatever, and you can say that, you know, when you've seen a committee, when you've seen a bill that's passed through the policy committee, um, that is a good next step for you. Go in and look at who's on the rules committee and say, you know, this bill is, is, is coming you know, to the rules committee and um, please bring it to the floor. And this is a priority and so forth. So um, it's not that mysterious. It's not, it certainly is nothing like a two hour uh, policy committee. It happens very fast. You're in and out of the room. And we'll see what it's like online. I'm interested in seeing how they actually do that. So, yeah, I mean, it'll be very interesting to see how they how they negotiate that whole process online. Uh, so that actually anticipated our first audience question from Christy, who said, I've heard that bills in Washington state spend a long time in committee, sometimes years. How can citizens play a role in this? And I'm guessing she means help them advance. Is yeah. this a matter of contacting members in the rules committee? And then if it is, can you only contact your member who might happen to be sitting on a particular committee or can you contact anybody in the committee? You know, it's best to contact your members because they're most interested in their constituents uh, and their district. So that's the best thing that you can do. But if you are um, advocating for bills in certain committees that your legislators are not on and it's too early in the process for your legislator to to maybe engage in that, it's not their area of expertise or whatever. Um, certainly contacting the chair of the committee. Um, I can tell you that the Speaker of the House and the Senate Majority Leader both get a lot of emails, um, you know, prioritizing bills um, also. Uh, you know, um, and I think, again, I can't stress how important it is for you to find a wide variety of constituencies, you know, many different organizations, different geographies and so forth that can all come together in support of an idea to pass that bill. Um, and then we should say too that some things just aren't ready for passage in one session. Um, they need more work. They need more advocacy. Um, maybe, you know, the legislature just isn't ready for uh, certain ideas and, and uh, it's just, um, it's, you know, the, the work has to happen, um, and sometimes it does take a long time, but you got to help that. 
We've got a bunch of questions. I'm going to try to get to as many as I can here, gang, tonight. So uh, Louise Pathé asks, with a Democratic majority, how much effort should activists put toward working against bad bills sponsored by Republicans? Well, yeah, I think you, you should work against bad bills. You know, take a look at what's going into committee. There are some bad bills. If you if you, if you went into the, the pre-filed bill list and um, you looked at a few things, um, you probably can kind of follow those bills for the first week or so and see if they, you know, are even going to get scheduled for a committee hearing. Some of them are not, um, just not going to happen at all. Um, in terms of a committee hearing. Um, this is just stuff they're dropping every year. You know, we used to see, for example, Matt Shea, who I think most people have an idea who he is, who used to be out of the Spokane area, um, was a pretty far uh, right uh, legislator with, uh, you know, some interesting or, or not so interesting ideas. That's a kind way of putting it, yeah. Yeah, um, and, you know, he would drop some bills that... Um, they just weren't going to go anywhere. And I don't think you have to worry about those kinds of bills. But if you start to see any bill movement, like a hearing on a bill that you're concerned about, then I think you should, uh, you know, start to uh, make sure that you're making connections and advocating against that bill. But Sarah asks, how will the Democratic caucus leaders enforce the new policy that committee chairs cannot block key legislation? So here's my understanding. Uh, the Democratic caucus removed the power of a committee chairperson to block bringing a bill to a committee vote if the Democratic leadership indicates that the bill is a quote unquote priority bill. Am I getting that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, exactly what they've done with that. I think, you know, that's something that's... Um, you know, in the past has um, sometimes been problematic and sometimes not so, because if leadership wanted something to happen, they might, you know, make sure that that particular bill goes through a different committee. And you might say, gee, why is it going through that committee and not through, you know, what the committee you would assume it would go through. Uh, so, that, you know, they found a way to do that, but it sounds like they're being a little more straightforward about how we make sure that our priorities happen um, without, uh, you know, a, a chairman getting in the way because you know we've we've seen uh, you see on on the federal uh, level too the power of both uh, leadership and the committee chairs and in, in some of these things and it it seems like um, you know you're you're stuck with that but um, I'm, I'm it's good to hear that they are finding other ways to be again more transparent and uh, more fair with uh, the entire caucus versus just the chair. Kevin Jones has a question about actually appealing to uh, committee members, particularly the budget committee members. Um, and he mm -hmm. asks, in your experience, do the budget committee members want to hear about the policy benefits of legislation more, or do they typically want to just hear about the cost consequences of that legislation? Um, they really like to hear about the fiscal impacts, you know, the fiscal impacts of, of that particular bill, because it, it, it typically a bill has been through a policy committee already. And, you know, so it's had a chance to have that public hearing. They can read the bill report from that committee, um, you know, what people had to say about the policy and its impacts. Um, and I think that that's also one of the ways that the legislature can ensure that, you know, they're getting in all of the testimony because there's on, on the finance bills, um, there are um, typically many 
people that want to you know testify in that budget bill and if they let you go on and on about the policy over and over again um i don't think they'd get you know that work done so it's one way that they limit you know the and then their work is about fiscal that's what they're there for on that particular committee to do so uh, just one last question I think we've got time for. We're right up against the hour here. Heather asks, and this has to do with the process during COVID, uh, is physical mail being forwarded to legislators or is it only possible to communicate with them via email or phone? Do you know? Boy, I don't know, but you, you'll have to ask them. Um, I can tell you, though, um, even when you're in session and, you know, physical mail it's a it's a good idea physical mail but i can tell you that see my phone here you can sort of see it in front of me <laughs> when i was in legislative session or in my district wherever i was my phone was right here and my email was right here and if you sent me an email i got it versus that mail i might not get for five more days or whatever so you know one of the things i've, I've told folks and and it's really helpful when you're um advocating to tell stories so legislators understand you know when you're when you're sending them an email you might tell them a story about the impact and how it impacts you or someone you know or your community whatever but it's also helpful just to send that damn email you know what i mean some people they stew about it so much so much as, as those of us who are advocates we stew about it what am i going to say i gotta write a long paragraph whatever and sometimes what i'll say is just okay send them an email the most important thing you put a subject in here you know i support uh you know climate action for this against this whatever it is and bill number such and such on your subject line okay and in the body of that email put your name and your address in their district and send it just do it because they don't always have time to read you know three paragraphs or whatever it is you're going to send. And like I said, the stories are important. They need those stories. They need to have that, but they need to hear from you. And the subject line, you know, if I'm looking at this quickly because I'm, you know, sitting in a meeting or, uh, you know, getting up first thing in the morning and reading what I'm in a committee, whatever it is, if I'm looking at it really quickly and I can just read that subject line that you say, you know, I support bill number such and such, you know, for, for this particular climate action and then put your name and your address in their district, that's enough. And you haven't had to stew about what you're going to write for the next three hours and not do it. It's funny so. because, you know, we used to be told that letter writing was kind of the gold standard and, and it sounds like email is uh, taking mm -hmm. primacy there. I'll just ask you, so in order... Um, in person, obviously, as you say, is, is the best sort of contact, uh, maybe mm -hmm. followed by phone and then email and then letter. Does that sound about right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think email can be quite helpful. Um, it, it really can, because, again, it's it's access right there. Uh, the phone, if you're going to call their offices, uh, you're likely going to get a pick up and talk to their legislative aide, which is wonderful. That's a good person to talk to, you know, the information that they're going to relay off to the legislator. But um, this is kind of your direct, you know, to them, um, you know, sending that, that email to, um, you know, right there where they're going to get it on the phone. So just do it. It's... <laughs> I think that's the hardest thing that people um, 
you know, get to. They they have all the good intentions to do this advocacy work, and then they stew about what to write um, or what to say, so forth. Um, and it just just get it done. That your name and your address and you know that subject line of what you're asking for. That's perfect advice. I love it. Uh, Marcy, I'm going to, right now, I'm going to ask everybody to unmute yourselves for just a moment and give Marcy a big round of applause. This has just been tremendous. Thank you, Marcy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Really tremendous. Bravo. Appreciate it. Our thanks again to Marcy Maxwell. Uh, thanks also to Kat Pipkin, Julianne Jievsky, Kevin Jones, Louise Pathé, and Robin Gittleman. The website for the show is indivisiblepodcast.org, and our email address is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative Inc. and is part of the Demcast family of podcasts. Learn more about Demcast at demcastusa.com. Special thanks to Lori Caldwell, and as always, my thanks to you for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. <laughs>